one of those speakers goes bad, my best shot is I can't search my email for speaker because they're called like Polk A7 I3 Signature Series, blah, blah, blah. And so if something goes wrong and I just want to like see the speakers that I bought so I can figure out where I got it from, it'd be great to just be able to like search your sort of item space. And so that's kind of the, the world that we're living in. Or you go to a Thai restaurant and want to get that thing that you got last time. Like just n being able to access and interact with the items that you buy is really cool. The long vision. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today, we've got a repeat. We've got Al Doan back. Al, thanks for making time. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm lapping everybody else is what I'm doing. Yeah, just basically. coming back around. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Although I do feel like I should have, I should have gone back and looked at how long it's been because you were like, a, you were a supporter early on. You came on like, I think like 2016. So yeah, you you were just a young buck, man. You're like, hey, I got a little thing. It's no big deal. You might want to come hang out. It's like, yeah, let's do it. And now here <laughs> we are. You're you're a full blown full blown man doing the whole thing, podcaster. <laughs> but we're on Squadcast. I gotta say, hey, Zencaster. Have you heard of Zencaster? I'm an investor. Love those guys. I, I do, except that. What are we doing here? I, I do, except that my guests keep shutting their laptops after it's over, and I lose their half of the recording. <laughs> so these guys, these guys upload it as we go. So, ah. but so let's just quick background. People who didn't hear that, didn't hear that episode. Can you give us kind of the, you know, tech stars? Missouri, yeah, yeah. Missouri Quill, all the way to Pretzel. Can you give us just like the, sh the short version? Yeah, man. So, so came out of college, really wanted to be a startup-y guy inspired by, by various podcasts and found my way into the Techstars family. I was an intern for those guys in 2010 out in Boulder. Did Boulder, did Seattle, went and played with some buddies over in Europe doing just startup-y accelerator stuff, right? On the side, I started this quilt company for my mom. Me and my sister decided it would be a good idea to have help her, you know, sort of supplement her income. So we started a company called the Missouri Star Quilt Company. And the primary objective was to keep mom out of our basements when she got old. And ended up being this crazy success on the side. Uh, in part, maybe because of my time at Techstars, because we'd be like having these world-class mentors in there. And they'd be giving this advice to some tech startup. And I'd be like, also, imagine you were selling quilting fabric. Now what do you do? Okay, so that's a good, you know, like did a bunch of that kind of stuff. And the quote company grew big. It, it did great. It's almost 500 employees. It's this big old behemoth out in the, you know, 1500 person town in the middle of Missouri, which is, which is great because I love sort of being from my small town. I like that we've been able to bring some jobs here and we bought the downtown district and turned it into this retail mecca for quilters and sewing enthusiasts. And then I since went through a whole a whole to do with that, where me and my founders sort of found that we were out of alignment in terms of our of our risk tolerance, right? Like I was still a single guy, and I'm the worst guy to play poker with. I'm like, I'm all in. You don't know what I got. And they're, uh, you know, they had families and children, and we're like, what if we didn't risk everything every day? And so we we threw a bunch of like work with a, a group called Reboot, who I love, Jerry Colonna and the guys over there came to this realization that that I didn't have to spend my life in this 
role that I that I was sort of resentful of and frustrated by by the dynamic of our partnership. So we came back and had some great conversations. I stepped back from that, got married, like met my wife two weeks later on a river rafting trip, two weeks, literally two weeks after I agreed to step down, you know, I was 34 years old and Mormon, which meant I'd been looking to get married for a long time. And, and so like, you know, to have that all just sort of click into place was felt, felt fairly, you know, universe driven. And, and then the next year, it was weird because I got married and my wife had never seen me work, right? And she's like, do you just play Xbox and read books? And I'm like, I, I, no, I got moves. You just haven't seen them. Like, I, <laughs> trust me, once, once Entrepreneur Al comes in, you're going to really be impressed by this man that you've married. It was so bizarre, man. And so I so spent our chair for a little bit. We got pregnant. And then I started another company called Let's Make Art, essentially doing for watercolor paints what I did for quilting. And I uh, grew that and had a blast with it. It just went, you know, can, zero to 60 real fast. Can can and, we back up real quick, just for one second, to give people a little bit of a glimpse more? Because we, we we breezed over the quilt stuff pretty quick. I was Reader's <laughs> Digesting. I, I know, I know. I appreciate those. it. But okay, right. I want to give people this appreciation of like, for starters, how many buildings do you guys have in this little town? Yeah, so we bought, we bought 27 buildings, right? So it's 14 quilt shops. We started three restaurants, uh, a mini Hotel, it's a retreat center where where ladies come to slumber party, which sleeps about 40 people. And then we have a theater that shows, you know, the sort of movies and stories about the town. Like we created this whole big destination, it gets about 100,000 people come and stop in a year. I mean, imagine the biggest wooden nickel in, in Minnesota, but, it, but it's that for quilting in the middle of a cornfield in Missouri. And so, no, the, the town was, was a big deal, but almost everything that we do is online because I, I come from an online space. I was, you know, I was trying to start the next Facebook or Google. I could not, but I did start a quote company that's centered around technology and uh, was able, I mean, because it exists online and has this whole thing, then our town gets to have a reason to exist. And people like, you would never find us. We're Hamilton, Missouri. You would never find us. If you were just driving through the state, you just never occurred to you to stop. And now we have a reason for a bunch of people to come through. And it's, it's cool. The town is cool because it's sprung off. You know, we have a craft brewer now that started up and like gets to live his dream and a candle making shop that the Amish run and a, you know, we've got a hair salon and a massage place and like all these, all this little industry has sprung up around this, which uh, now in the middle of COVID, we had to shut the whole town down. And so I'm sorry to all those people, but we'll be back soon. But no, it's, it's like, it's been this really sort of crown jewel of the legacy that I expect I'll leave is this town, this company, you know, the, the work that I've been able to do with my family, all that kind of stuff. Well, and I got to say what you guys did from a content marketing standpoint is super inspirational to me. Like my hero is a guy named Joe Paluzzi started the content marketing Institute. We had him on the show, but you guys are in his book, content Inc. And he talks, yeah, it's awesome. And he talks about, he just talks about how amazing your, like your mom on the YouTube channel is and how it drove so much for for you guys. And like, you've had another hundred million YouTube views since you were on the show last year. You guys are like 200 million YouTube views now, you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, well, it was funny because we faced a, a challenge that a lot of small companies faced, I feel like where. You know, I started this website. I, I actually have, I went and found the Facebook link that I put up to it in 2009, February, right? I was like, hey guys, I built my mom a quilt shop. You should go check it out. It's got two likes, right? It's just like, nobody cared. And we were doing 
are, I have this model that I follow for every company I work on. It's content, commerce, and community. And I have to have an answer for each one of those pillars before. And so the commerce angle for the quilt company was we had this daily deal. I ripped it off of Woot.com or Steep and Cheap. I, I love the daily deal concept through college. And I was like, man, if they can hook me, a broke college kid, I can for sure hook my grandma, 100%. But nobody was building for for a 70-year-old woman, right? Nobody was building any experience for any, you know, 40-plus female audience. And so we launched this Daily Deal site, and uh, I was literally, I was writing the description and the story, and I'd be like, you know, I would do this whole thing, put it up on the website, zero people would see. I didn't know, because I was a bearded 26-year-old, I had no idea where to put this so that people would find it, right? And, and so you have this challenge, like, where is the water cooler for quilters there's no espn for quilters so how do i find them and and for me i like there really wasn't every place that they were gathering was sort of already this walled in garden that some other company was doing and so i set about to create the water coolers where these people would gather which for us i mean it, we started putting these videos up on youtube which in 2009 right youtube was two years old which is crazy to think about so it's still a little like oh nobody's done this yet so we'll go do this but but in doing that, in doing that, we created this place where people gathered because quilters don't like they don't idle on there, right? YouTube is seventy five percent fifteen and younger. That's a real stat. And so like my people weren't hanging out there, but in creating these videos, we'd send out these emails. Literally our weekly email would get sixty, seventy percent open rates, right? For a for a million person message going out. That's insane to think from a marketing standpoint, to think about getting those kind of open rates. But because we had this content in there, they really cared about that was driven to them. You know, we'd lean back in our chair every time and say, All right. If they open this and they don't buy anything, is their life better? And we had to answer yes to that before we'd send it out. And uh, just built this great little content engine for us that uh, really became what we were known for in the quilt company. But then I did the same thing with, with Let's Make Art. So it was it was uh, watercolor videos, and, and I was buying... You'll, you'll love this. I was my, I'd gotten married and my wife wanted to get into water or she was into watercolors. So I was like, this will be a great gift. I'm going to go get her thing. So I, I Googled watercolor supplies and on the internet, when you Google watercolor supplies, the top result is a company called Dick Blick. And I was like, I got a great idea. What if I didn't call myself Dick Blick? I'm, <laughs> maybe I could have a better experience. And I, and I'm looking at it from this, from the standpoint of like, all right, if I'm a creative person, an artist that's going through and shopping for these supplies, what gives me that, that artistic creative experience to go and go and buy this stuff? What makes it like a joy to buy? Because that's, that's the thing that I actually care about. It should be inspirational. Well, you go to Dick Blick or Jerry's Art World-O-Rama or wherever these crappy places are, and it's it's like an Excel spreadsheet on the internet that hasn't been changed. It's the Yahoo shopping of of art supplies, and you go on there and like they don't even have colors of pictures of the colors; they just have like RGB values and crap. It's it's really really poorly done. So as I'm looking through this, I literally I got to the homepage of Dick Blick, and it took me nine clicks to get to watercolor paint because they'd ask me stuff that I didn't know, and so it was like. You know, do you want, uh, what, what style or what kind of paint? I'm like, watercolor. It's great. What brand? I'm like, I have no idea. And it's like, what type do you want clay or do you want liquid or do you want pigment? I'm like, I don't know. And it's like, great. Now what? And I'm like, I have, I have no idea. And so from a, for a beginner, which is where I've, I've sort of made my, my living is building these experiences. So if you've never done it before, you can find us and get in there. You, you can do that. And so I, so I had my, my commerce angle for Let's Make Art where I was going to solve all this for the beginner. But then the content side, I was like, man, 
I, I, every time I've signed up for a class or something to do this, I'd never do it because it's like a Udemy course that just sits in my inbox and I never actually finish it. So we decided our angle is we would, we would do a tutorial where you could watch it and it wasn't going to be like a five minute sped up. It was going to be a long form while she was working the, the water around. You would see that. Like Bob Ross. You reinvented Bob Ross. No, that's it. Her name's Sarah Crane. She's amazing. And, and so you don't get to you, like everything else was shortened and sped up and done this real fast way. And so we do, we do this tour that would go out and then we'd live paint. So essentially we created like the sip and paint places that you see in strip malls all over, but we did it for the internet and you get a few thousand people to hop on. And it was great because you could say, Hey, I didn't see how you did that. eye. can you go back and do that? And she said, sure. Let me do this. And I uh, created this great, another great content engine for us. that just like was a, was a behemoth and did a, did a great job, but it's all people getting very passionate about about, you know, feeling like they had access to this, to this information where before it was, everybody pretended like it was special and you couldn't get into it. So, so yeah, uh, content, content within, within four months, you'd hit some pretty decent metrics with that. Yeah. But in four months we had, we had a, we were at about one and a half million in ARR and it was cool because I like everything I've ever done, I've bootstrapped, right. I've never taken venture money and so this was about 30 grand in inventory and then a lot of you know eight or nine months of of me just just typing away and sarah cray who was our our artist and creator and she was in there shipping with us and stuff and and like i mean we just worked our tail off and created this this behemoth that we then sold back into the quilt company so the quilt company is is now uh you know multi-vertical which is a, a great great thing and, but no, it, like it took us, took us about four months to see that we had some good traction. We're going in a good direction. We kept our numbers really tight and uh, just grew as fast as we could. So that's an interesting comment in your mind. Where do startups not keep their numbers tight? Oh my gosh. So, so I, I read, man, I forget how I found it, but a while ago, Sarah Tavell, who was working then at Bessemer Ventures is a great venture capitalist. She had, she had worked on this paper called the 10 laws of e-commerce or the, yeah, something like that. And in there, they say, they say, yeah, when you, when you know your, your LTV of a customer, as long as you can keep your cost of acquisition below half of that, it's irresponsible to to not spend up to the 50% of LTV mark and get going. Right. And so I like seemed pretty obvious to me that math that math checked out. If you can acquire a customer for half of what you'll make on them, you've you've magically made money. You did it. And and so I I like invest in startups and and see a bunch of this and people will screw up that LTV mark a lot, right? My LTV Do you mean because they LTV, don't calculate what the lifetime value is correctly or they overspend or they just don't measure it in the first place? Well, so it's hard to measure it correctly, right? You've got to, you've got to cohort this. And so like, you can't do that in Shopify easily. You can't say, great, show me my January customers and what they spend. Also, they'll go out, like you see these guys that go out three years and say, my LTV is $400, but it takes you three years to get. And it's like, yeah, no one's floating you for three years so that you can earn your money back. What are you doing? And so I live in this like three month LTV my lifetime value, now, like I make, I might make more, but but if whatever I can return in the first three months is what I consider earnable off of a customer, which means so like let's say let's say I I build a thing and I sell it for for fifty bucks, right? Or it's a subscription box, it's fifty bucks, and I stick around for three months, I get one hundred fifty bucks. So I'm running fifty percent margins, I got seventy five dollars there, right? So if I can acquire a customer for less than half of that, let's say let's say I'm getting them for thirty five bucks. 
I could put that growth on a credit card and literally pay it back with the first bid to come in within the first 45 days. And then the next other half of that can come in and it just, it floats me. And I get that, you know, I literally like I go from zero to hundreds of thousands in, in ad spend or, or just marketing spend, wherever it's returning well for me. Uh, and I do that in about two or three months. We, we try and go, we try and go as big as we can, as fast as we can, but people, they really do. They screw that up because they'll either, they either don't, or, or they'll take like their generic margin costs and don't actually take it down to their, their uh, sort of EBITDA number, right? Because if you're running 10% margins, your actual LTV is whatever your revenue was times your EBITDA margin percentage, right? So if you've got 10% margins, you only made 10% of that. You, you didn't get the 50% gross margins, right? Like do your math right, know what you're actually making as a company. And and then you can be super confident in those numbers because where you get in trouble is when you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're sort of fudging the numbers, to try, <laughs> you kind of understand it. Mm-hmm. it. It gets risky real fast, man. Yeah. I, I, I love you putting some meat on those bones. So, so tell us from there to pretzel. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, it's funny cause I did the quote company and had this, this, you know, step back from that and felt, felt really good about it, but there's still this voice in my head says, you know, like I, I kind of struggled with the, with my identity around being a quilting mogul for a long time because yeah. you want because you you really strike me as a quilter by the way for people who obviously can't see this video because we're only doing the audio how, how tall are you i'm i'm a six foot seven bearded missouri man and so i may not strike you as a quilter but i have made a few quilts in my day don't <laughs> be mistaken and so i came out of that and and you know was sure that everybody else was looking at me and and you know thinking what a what a loser this guy is it's funny because like my, my wife's a yoga instructor and she says the same thing where she's like, nobody is looking at anybody else's poses in yoga. They're all trying to do their own stuff. <laughs> and so like your self-consciousness is self-afflicted. And I, I think the startup guys do the same thing where I came out of there and everybody looked at me and probably thought this guy did his best and, and great. He built a successful company and it's awesome and it's doing awesome. But I came out of that and said, oh, they must all think I'm a loser. Nobody believes in me. And so I had this ego bit that, that kind of dragged me into the let's make art space. And then as I walked out of that, I, I took a big deep breath and said, all right, what am I actually supposed to be doing now with the rest of my life? I can either keep doing e-commerce plays, because, but do I just get to do e-commerce till I die because I'm good at that? Maybe, maybe not. And so I, I was kind of bumming around. We, you know, when, when I got married to my wife, the, the conversation was kind of interesting around money because I was like, listen. I guess, I guess buy whatever you want, but I think it would be really cool. You know, like we, we set our first budget and I was like, I think it'd be really cool. Like just, just let's be deliberate about our spending. I want, uh, let's just, let's just keep track of every receipt that we buy. By the way, how, how old are you? 34? Yeah, I was 34 when I got married. How many people get married at 34? At, that is a unique thing, right? Because most entrepreneurs, so many entrepreneurs get married before large exits and and significant financial yeah. <laughs> situations, yeah, no, yeah. right? It's weird. It's weird going from like a poor farmer when you dated last, then ducking your head and working for a decade, building a success and then coming out the other side and being like, does anybody want to yeah, like, it just jacks with your psyche. It's hard to date without sort of learning how to, how to live in that space. And, and so, so I, I like, yeah, but let's be, let's be like, intentional. Yeah. And wait, intentional about what? You said, hey, spend whatever you want, but let's be intentional oh, right, right. about what we're buying. Oh, that's right. 
Yeah, so let's be intentional. And and I was like, let me go find an app that'll just keep track of our receipts from wherever we spend them. And so I went and looked, and there's no one that did it. Right? There's a bunch of expense reports, Expensify and Shoeboxed and Neat, and these guys that you can send your receipts to, and uh, they'll scan them, they'll digitize them, but they don't care. They don't care about reconciling the transactions. I wanted to keep track of like, all right, show me my transactions as they come in, and then are we. Like, I just want to be reminded to kind of keep putting a receipt against it. And so we'll just, we'll just do this. Cause my wife, like for getting married, all of a sudden my wife had cards that I didn't know about. It was a target card and a gap card. And I'm like, you know, it kind of stresses me out a little bit. My relationship with money growing up was money was always the, the, the guy that kept us from having a good life. Right. Money was, we went bankrupt, bankrupt growing up and money took our home away. You know, it's like a very kind of toxic relationship with money. And so having control of money was this very neurotic thing that I was like not ready to let go of as I went into this relationship. And so just having some visibility was my goal. Well, that app didn't exist. And so I started kind of playing with the idea more and more of like, man, it, it really should. And then, and then if we, if I did go through the trouble of pulling in your transactions and connecting a receipt to it, I can itemize this and, and then it would be awesome. Like the problem I have with like a mint budget is when I go in and look at my mint.com budget, it's, it's green at the first of the month and red at the end of the month. And that's it. It's like, this does not help me. I do not appreciate the effort I put into this just to have it break every time, but it breaks because like, I don't know, man, you, you, you go and see a show or something and, oh yeah, I forgot to set up my, my, you know, sort of entertainment budget. Right. So now that's broken. Like literally with my experience with most budgeting apps, is going in and making it not red by just recategorizing everything that I did. Like it doesn't really help me. <laughs> and so I, so it got us on this line of like, what if we could turn, like, what if we could tell you the story of where your money's going instead of just the big Arabic numerals at the top, which is what everything else tells us. And, uh, and so that's what got us going on pretzel. Okay. So besides that everybody should be going to going to pretzel.io and getting on the wait list, Give us a little more of the, give us a little more of if they get selected for the beta and they can check this out, what they're going to get or what's, what the, what the value prop is. Yeah. So, so in the beginning, it's literally just connecting your receipts to transactions and then itemizing them. But some cool use cases I've run into already is like going to the store to buy my wife a Christmas present and remembering that I got her a calendar, a candle two years ago and she loved the scent. And what was that scent? I don't know, you know, and I was like, man, it'd be great if I could just search candles and see what I bought it, right? It's sort of, think of it like the uh, the inventory, like the character inventory for your life, right? Of just like, I, I, I built a, a home theater in my basement. And so I bought speakers from Amazon, from B&H Photo and from, from Clutchfield, Crutchfield. And if one of those speakers goes bad, my best shot is I can't search my email for speaker because they're called like Polk A7 I3 Signature Series, blah, blah, blah. And so if something goes wrong and I just want to like see the speakers that I bought so I can figure out where I got it from, it'd be great to just be able to like search your sort of item space. And so that's kind of the the world that we're living in. Or you go to a Thai restaurant and want to get that thing that you got last time. Like just n- being able to access and interact with the items that you buy is really cool. The long can- vision... Can you talk about that a little bit of the like, you know, sometimes stuff that shows up in your bank, you know, your, your online banking, it's just like a whole string of numbers. And then, and then you paid this much. 
you know? Yeah. So if you, if you use, let's say you use Chase or American Express or something, right? The, one, the transactions come from weird places that we've got to normalize. And so it's, it's not Amazon.com. It's Amazon.com asterisk, asterisk, wa 90412, asterisk, asterisk, bill pay, blah, 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 whatever, right? And, and so you're supposed to know what that is. Furthermore, the credit card company has nine categories they care about. It's shopping, food, and, and entertainment, travel, business, right? And so, like, you go to Amazon and buy two T-shirts and some Oreos and some paper clips. It says, great, that's the shopping category. And you're like, wait a minute. I got some clothes. I got some Oreos. And I got some paper clips. Those are business like. Like I should, I should have some visibility into what I'm actually, what I'm actually spending my money on. And that's where, that's where like, it's not, it's not ready yet. We're, we're a month or two away from having it, but like we're building this sort of stories engine, we're calling it, where we get to tell you the stories about the things that you're buying. I just had twins a month ago. I can't wait to see the story around my diapers, right? Like, I just want to see, think of it like the Fitbit for your life, right? Like, let me just tell you the story about what you did. I'm not going to tell you you did it right or wrong. I don't want to set goals for you. If you want to spend your way into oblivion, you are welcome to. I just want you to see where your money's going as you go. And I think there's a lot of people that are really good at money, just bad at Arabic numerals at the top of the screen, right? They get, they get scared or nervous about the, the big thing. And if you know, and so like, if you can say, yeah, all right, I, I bought 94 cups of hot chocolate last month. I'm not, I want to change that number, right? Like that, like that makes a different bit of sense to you than, than you spent too much, right? It's just like, you, you're going to just learn from this or understand it differently as I get to tell you the story in a better way. You know, it's really interesting that you make the Fitbit comparison there though. It's interesting, the research that's done on what happens to humans when they start tracking things like yeah. people who they don't go on a diet, but if they just start taking a picture of everything they eat, the the act of tracking, they end up losing weight because then they go like, I'm going to have to take a picture of that. If I want to eat that, I'm going to have to take a picture of it. There's going to be incriminating evidence. Yeah, well, you know, well, nobody or, tells you don't eat a Snickers bar, but knowing that you got to pull out a, a camera and take a, it's, it's the flash diet, right? And this is kind of the same thing where it's a flash diet for your finances. And we get to do some cool stuff on the other end of it. Once all this, once your itemized data exists, I got a bunch of cool places I'd love to take us, right? Like I, I come from a commerce background. It'd be really cool. It'd be really cool if I could help save some people some money by, just by saying, hey, you got this here and you've been getting it here every month. Like switch here and you can check this out, right? Like there's some of that stuff that I think is really interesting uh, that starts to exist in there. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's the the interesting part about all this is just starting these conversations with people because it's, I, I feel like we wrote our manifesto and the manifesto is like, man, just, I'm fine with Dave Ramsey, but I, but I want to be Dave Ramsey-ish. I don't want to be the full-blown, like, like so, so many of us will, we're focused on getting more money, right? Like I'm, I'm, I've struggled with this myself where it's like, man, my goal, my whole life has been to get more money. Now that I've got money, I have no idea what to do with it. Nobody ever got to this part of the conversation and said, <laughs> great, once you've got money, here's how to be really smart with it. It's, it's always about just getting more. And, and I think that there's a real space to have sort of the money positivity chatter of like, Hey man, yeah, be saving for, for this other stuff, but that can't be your whole world, right? Like you got to enjoy some of your life. You got to be like, spend some of your money as you go and be okay with that. Right. Because if you get to the end of the year, really our goal is like, have 
$2,000 in the bank and you get paid and you spend, you get paid and you spend, you get, and it, you get to the end of the year and you hope you have two grand in there. Well, like, let me show you your trip to Hawaii and say, yeah, you spent three grand on that. But like, there's a story here. There's, there's some stuff around this. And if you're proud of that memory, great. That's a good memory. That was a good way to spend your cash. Like be proud of that. And you don't have to worry about it. But, but let's look at like the overall picture instead of just having the one way to do it and trying to shove everybody into like a, like other budgeting apps, like a, you need a budget or something, man. Like it's so rigorous. It's so rigorous. And I'm like, I don't, I like money. I don't want to stare at it that much. I don't want it to control that much of my world. I want just enough that I'm going to be okay. I, I need visibility into my money, but I don't need every job, every dollar to have a job and to be neurotic about getting in there every night putting it around. You know, that, that really appeals to me, that approach and just the visibility. I mean, you know, we can, I can hop on to, I can hop on to chase.com and, and look at the, the, the big long list. Right. But there is like, it takes quite a bit of effort to die, to decipher that and to go through and be like, what are all these things? And do I even know what that means? And like, I look at the screenshots of your app and I, and it's like, I don't know, it, it, it feels like you're taking a lot of the pain out of that. Yeah. Well, well, that's the idea, man. Again, again, the, like what we've got right now is interesting from a, like, like if you've ever tried to, to keep track of receipts, this is an incredibly elegant solution. So like any business owner is going to be like, yes, my man, let's go do this. And then, and then we can export at the end of the year where, where it gets really interesting is like, like. My goal is to, I mean, you don't have a single financial app that you use that sends you a meaningful weekly digest, not a single one. I've used all of them, all of like, all of them are really bad. And I'm like, man, just give me a weekly or monthly. Like, I just want to see where my cash went this month and tell me, tell me a little bit about what's going on. And I'm, you know, it's funny because now that I'm in there all day and sort of like, like interested in how the app is treating my finance or the different transactions and how it's understanding them and how it's aggregating them. Like you start to, you start to see a bunch of stuff that you didn't see before. You start to see commonalities, right? Oh, it turns out every time I go to the movies, I also go here. Like we get to the, the, the learning and hopefully storytelling that comes out of doing a bunch of this stuff, I think should be, it's not supposed to change everything about you and make you spend in a way different way. It's supposed to teach you about what you do. And if you, if you're proud of it, man, great. But like, let's never ask an app if you have enough money to buy a pizza. Like, don't do that. And you see those dumb Instagram ads for some other <laughs> PFM. It's like, no, hey, Alfred, can I do this? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a good part to end for part one. Maybe to end off here, what is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Man, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. That's interesting. My mom told me as a child, don't cook bacon naked. And that, that was true. Cause you tried that as a teenager and you shouldn't. Yeah. The actual like best, best advice, man. I don't know. I think the, the best wisdom sort of that I've come upon through help with others is maybe, maybe like what, what do I actually want to do? Right. Which is, which is like, like envisioning that sort of end result of your career, what do you actually want to be doing? And for me, it's working on a hard problem with people that I love. 
and and I keep holding up whatever I'm working on against that. It's such a weird thing to be working when when money's no longer the motivator, right? I, if I make a another ten million dollars off of pretzel, it doesn't change my world in any any dramatic way. Like I'm hillbilly rich and happy to be there. And so so having to go through the exercise of like, well, why do I want to keep doing this? What what is actually important to me? has been maybe the most thoughtful conversations and and so not not necessarily advice but like it's been the most helpful helpful chatter that I've had with my mentors is uh you know what does it look like when you've arrived and then what do you do when you get there I I appreciate the journey you're on right now but like what let's recognize it when we see it yeah I love it okay everybody tune back into part two thanks so much